Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Hello, hello, and welcome to the program. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory, who is on maternity leave. Such bliss. Enjoying those updates of her and new baby girl, mom, dad, big sister. Blessed bonding and respite time for them. But that means... This is Marriage Hour. It's Thursday. And so in keeping with that theme, we have a special guest who has agreed to spend the hour with us. And my name is Brooke Taylor. So happy to be with you again today. And with today's theme, with Marriage Hour, we get a bonus because it isn't just an efficacious theme for those who have experienced the sacrament of marriage, but this affects all facets of life, including the church. And that is the maturity crisis, the essential need for males to leave behind the immaturity of sin, of selfishness, in order to grow up in virtue. And it's a theme that we've been hearing a lot about. And the news article, Cadults, that identified this population, we'll talk a little bit about that. Fulton Sheen called it the nemesis of mediocrity. A lot of men are in a rut of mediocrity. But this actually, when you look at it, when you analyze it, is a pivotal place because it can be the eve of spiritual revival. And that's what we want to focus on today. And I want to share something that's personal that we have in our home and that I think speaks to this theme and the heroic the noble call to be a man of God. It's a reflection years ago, maybe about 10 years or more ago that I ran across, and I printed it off. I affixed it to the the closet walls in my son's rooms. They share rooms. We have four boys. And so between my husband and I, this is a topic that has always been very close to our hearts. We even have it in the kitchen, so it's all over the place. But I think it really sets the stage for the critical call of men. It was written by Ryan McGuire, so I want to share it with you now. This is what he says. Every boy was created to be a hero warrior. Every man at some time in his life must face overwhelming odds and needs courage to act valiantly. When a man takes his stand as a believer to become all that God intended, he has begun an exciting adventure. For as sure as he relies on God's word and spirit to guide him, he will become a living reflection of our Lord in five areas, servant, warrior, prophet, priest, and king. As a servant, he will learn to obey God in small things. As a warrior, he will take his stand and fight for the great things. As a prophet, He will proclaim the true things of the Word of God to those around him. And as a priest, he will focus on the precious things, interceding for others and pointing them to God. 
Finally, as a king, he will take dominion over the kingdom of his own heart, his own life, and his own home. He will wage war on three fronts, the spiritual, the social, and the cosmic, and he will win. Though he will lose many battles, he will not slink from the field. But through the dust, the blood, and the tears, he will rise again and again to quench the thirst within him, to taste conformity to his risen victorious Lord. The enemy within and the enemy without will all taste the steel of his sword and know they have met a man. They may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! I had to add that in there. I mean, if we only had William Wallace, Mel Gibson clip at the ready, like decisive moments of our life, I think it would really help. But what an amazing reflection. And so to contrast that, we see where are we now? What's the landscape? We see the hero's journey and we see the call of men to conquer. And But we see it's not a worldly way. It's to be a saint and to be in battle with himself so that he can be conformed to Christ. So contrast that with what we know, with what we see around us. And I wanted to just cherry pick that story that's been out. I've heard it talked about and even Patrick Madrid examining it. And it's this new group that sociologists have dubbed Cadults. And it's a demographic. It's primarily 18 plus, 20 plus, accounting for one fourth of all toy sales this Christmas, not from the little ones, but from the big kids. The Washington Times ran an article and it was called The Rise of Cadults and Their Infantile Fascinations. So it looks at everything that characterizes what that means, living in the basement after a certain age and wanting to collect things, cartoons, action figures, video games. And of course, with charity, you know, I say this because those things in and of themselves are not dishonorable or sinful, but maybe symptomatic of something deeper going on. So that's what we want to talk about today. And here to discuss the essential need for males to rise to something greater, talking about that nemesis of mediocrity, to shake that off, to embrace the idea also of a rite of passage, and we'll talk about that, and the call to sainthood is our guest joining us for the hour, Jason Craig. He is the founder of St. Joseph's Farm, where, among other things, he hosts retreats for fathers and sons. He is also the editor of Sword and Spade magazine, the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, and co-founder of Fraternus. So we'll talk about what that is as well. He has a master's in theology from the Augustan Institute and joins us this hour on Trending. Welcome to the show, Jason. Wow. Thank you so much. That was the best intro I've ever heard on a radio show about this topic. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the mission, right? If we're going to do it, we have to try to hit the home run. That was I, I'm literally Googling kidults. How do I not know this phrase? That's, that's amazing. That's exactly it. You have to. Well, I think this especially appeals to your work because you've dedicated so much of your life to mentoring, you know, young boys into men, holy masculinity, manhood. So I really think you'll be fascinated by this. And it's what you already do anyway. You kind of bring these, you, you know, young men into uh what it means to be a godly man. And before we jump in, I want to just offer the studio line right away. It's one triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. I'm having a hard time connecting to the screener, but I know we'll get your call. So feel free, join us in the conversation. Jason's with us for the hour. And 
you know, in the top of the show, I talked about Timory. She's on maternity leave. And I know you can relate to that because you and your wife, is it your eighth child? You just welcomed a baby? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how that happened. Yeah, we're at eight now. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I know this because a, f- a few of our sons, my husband, were at one of your retreats waiting for Mrs. Craig to deliver. She was overweight and in the mix of like slaughtering a pig and processing chickens and learning about animal husbandry, you were also waiting for a new baby. And oh, it was, uh, and, and just I, so you know, after he was there, she made it to 43 weeks. Um, wow. So yeah, that was quite the uh, purgatorial period in our life. <laughs> oh my goodness. And with baby number eight too. Oh my, God bless her. Well, and everybody's healthy though? Everybody's healthy. Yeah. And you know, there's lots of ways to judge healthiness, but if you're out there and you're listening, yes, pray for my wife and the baby. We're, we're doing great. But one thing I've learned, you know, we didn't grow up in a big, we didn't bro- grow up Catholic, neither one of us. We didn't grow up having large families is just, wow, you think you know how to, you know, family. And then all of a sudden there's another kid and it changes everything. And it's great yeah. and it's difficult and it's wonderful and, and all those things. And and working that beauty out is really spectacular to witness. And you've done that. And I know we'll get to that apostolate, St. Joseph's Farm, and how you invite others in and do these weekends for fathers and sons. But you just mentioned there, not growing up Catholic, being a reaver, you and your wife. I want to go back maybe to the origin of your apostolate and, and looking at the overall, I mean, we started the show with that, the, the crisis of immaturity in males, this need for a rite of passage. I know that's something that you have written about extensively You've lived as a witness. How did that happen for you? And, and why is that so important? Wow, that's an excellent question. Um, I did not grow up. I'm not just a revert. I'm actually a convert. Um, I would say I grew up in you know, the American South where Jesus is sort of omnipresent, but also absent from reality. Um, it's just kind of this in the air as... Um, some authors have put it, Flannery O'Connor, you know, it's, it's the Christ-haunted South, right? So he's everywhere. Mm. Um, but at the same time, he, he, he's, not, he's not really there. So I had a conversion to Christ in high school as a Protestant, uh, and I became a Catholic later, uh, which, which is another story, not for this interview today. Uh, and then I, as a Protestant, I was had a conversion through a very widespread uh, um, Protestant youth ministry called Young Life. Um, Mm. And I naturally, as I became a Catholic, although I wasn't on this trajectory, once I became a Catholic, I was sort of pegged, hey, why don't you be the youth ministry guy? And got involved with parish youth ministry, got hired as a uh, a parish uh, youth director and all of that. And along the way, I, I kept just through, through observing the, the Protestant ministry that I was a part of, we went after the unchurched, right? The people that were completely way out there, away from God. That was how I was reached. It was sort of a very heroic and bold uh, Protestant ministry that I, was, that I had, you know, been, that brought me to the gospel. Um, that's who we went after. And then I become Catholic. And I realized, wow, they're using the same techniques that we were using, the same mindset. 
And so, which is like, oh, that's great. But actually, it's, it's a little bit scary because we're in, in the world of Catholic youth ministry, very often, we're using the tactics towards our own children that were developed for the people that have never stepped foot in a church, or they're far from it. So it just mm. it led me down sort of a, uh, I mean, we're, we're talking a, a, at this point, I guess, a 15-year observation, realization that why are we treating our children? as How, how are we presuming that our children, upon entering, <clears throat> becoming teenagers, adolescents, we're presuming that they're teetering on leaving the faith? And so we need to make sure we evangelize them and reach them and reach them where they are and all those things that sound good. But it, it, the other, on the other side of it, it's actually scary. How did we get to this point? When it comes to young men, particularly, we're, the, the church is hemorrhaging young men. So even very successful Catholic youth ministry tends feminine. It does not reach largely, it does not reach young men very well. Even very successful youth ministries around the country don't have, for example, a lot of priestly vocations. Well, we as Catholics can look at that and go, well, man, that's, that's great that they're involved with this, but that's, that's actually a, a pretty big problem um, that they're, we don't have a lot of, we, we should have, if we have a large pool of young men, we should also have proportionally uh, a, a good amount of priests, and we don't. Um, so that, it, it, it's, a, it's sort of a long and convoluted story, but just sort of the observation, why are we losing our young men in such great numbers? And then if you back into that a little bit, just from a secular perspective, why are the, what is going on with the men? And when we first started Fraternus, you know, that was 2008, um, it was easy at that time. We, we would spout off all these statistics that people will nod to. I mean, everything from arsonists uh, to uh, the mass shooters, you know, that are in the media constantly, um, to every violent crime, to sort of every societal degradation that we have. We can go, these are boys that are not becoming men that are perpetrating these crimes that are, that are right. a plague on our society, this immaturity becomes violent. We used to use all those statistics. Now it's gotten even crazier with the transgender movement, all, all of those various confusions about masculinity. Um, are, it's just ramping up where we don't, we can't even really settle and answer the question, well, what is a man? And how does a boy become a man? And that's sort of been my fascination just from, just from observing it and I don't want to sound too much like a scientist uh, uh, dissecting, you know, a dead rat. I'm talking about my own life. That this, this is a significant problem, that the, the confusion, the immaturity, the insecurity of men is, and, and as you brought up, the rise of adults, um, <laughs> which as I, I you, were, you, were, you were saying that at the beginning, I literally Googled it, as a, as, and it, it said adult, the first result was a news story. Adults are the biggest sales driver for the toy industry. And I thought, oh, there we go again. This is the same. This, what it is is an observation that it's not just that, hey, the men are kind of weird. What's going on? They're not being manly or whatever. To so, know, actually, if we redefine this problem, our boys are not growing up. That reframes the question. It, it completely upends what we think about when we talk about everything from youth ministry to catechesis to formation to brotherhood amongst 
it, it changes everything. And that led to um, a, a pretty intense research project and, and, and some graduate studies on um, rites of passage. How is it that other societies, traditional societies, don't have the problems that we have? They don't. The Amish, for example, do not have rebellious teenagers. They don't have them. What they have instead is men that know how to plow fields with horses at 14, right? Very different right. types of, of people where, you know, we have 14-year-olds that can't even, you know, go to the bathroom without permission, yet they're also the ones perpetrating mass shootings at the same time. So it's very, very big convoluted problem. But if we were to summarize it, it's that, yes, boys are not growing up. Uh, into secure, mature, virtuous, sacrificial men. That's what's not happening in society. And that's all these various apostates you mentioned. It's that, that is sort of the fundamental issue we kind of zero in on. Jason Craig is with us. His book is Leaving Boyhood Behind, Reclaiming Catholic Brotherhood. Also the founder of St. Joseph's Farm. You mentioned fraternus, and I want to go back to that because it really is part of the solution, I think, to the problem that we're talking about. And even just in the top of the show, we were talking about your wife recently giving birth, baby number eight, and the experience of childbirth is a rite of passage into womanhood that is unmatched anywhere else. And in your book, you say men don't have things like that. At least they don't have them naturally. Paternity is something man must choose and embrace which leads us to rites of passages and the idea that boys need tangible experiences, concrete steps in order to become men. Now, I know we just have a few minutes before the break, but you have, I think it's three specific steps that you lay out. Can you explain what those are in a, in a few minutes? And we can pick it up outside of the break if we don't uh, finish. But those sure, three. I'll give, I'll give you the overview because this is actually, it's not just steps that I came up with. What, where this comes from is, anthropology and their study of men, or I'm sorry, their study of humanity. The question is, how does a group of people, how do we bring someone who is not one of us into to be, become one of us? So the, the, anthropologically, it is, how do we initiate them into who we are? And that phrase, that word initiation is, it, it connotates, they're not one of us, how do we bring them in? How do we get them on the, how do we get them over the threshold? And that is an anthropological word. It's, it's the book primarily goes around the framework of an anthropologist named Arnold von Gennep, who just, he was, he wrote a book by that. He actually coined the phrase rites of passage, R-I-T-E, rites of passage. Mm -hmm. And he was not studying primarily boys becoming men. He was studying all sorts of things from tribal villages and actually to religious orders. How do you, as a Benedictine monastery, someone knocks on your door and says, I want in, how do you bring them in? You can't just say, well, sign the rolls. Come on. There, there's a process of initiation. And for that matter, the church herself uses the language. The, when you become a Catholic, and I'm an adult convert, so I went through this. When you become a Catholic, and you know, look up in your catechism, the word initiation, you must be initiated. It's great. You've had a personal conversion to Christ. You believe in Jesus. Wonderful. You're not one of us yet. Right? It's this, um, this startling reality of the body of Christ and the need for the church to say, this is how you become one of us. And that, that's a, 
some of us don't, don't recognize how important that the, the ability of that body to bring people into itself, that is the act of evangelization. So the church uses the language, the sacraments of initiation. The first three sacraments are the sacraments of initiation. You are not one of us. And the, it just sort of hit me one day, this observation that God, of course, courts and loves and gives actual graces to the individual soul to conversion, to become united with Christ, right? And we all recognize that. A lot of us, if you're listening to this station, if you're surely, if you're hosting this, you've, you've had these moments where you realize, my Lord, my God, you are calling me closer to yourself. Great. But if you're not yet initiated in his body, you have to be baptized. You have to be confirmed and you have to be brought and you have to be given your first Holy Communion. These are all gifts. And this observation I had one just one day is just amazing thought. You cannot baptize yourself. Hmm. You can have a conversion to Christ. You can have all sorts of personal this and that. And that's important. That's necessary. That's essential. Yet our Lord has ordained the, the economy and the reality of salvation that for you to join his body, you must submit yourself to the church and her ministers and to be baptized. And you can't say, I baptize myself in the name of the Father. You can't do that. Right. So we have this need to be brought in, to be initiated. And the church does that beautifully. And there's a wonderful, rec- you know, uh, um, I don't know, rhyming, echoing relationship between the way that we initiate generally, and I mean everything from the military to religious orders to college fraternities. And then that relates in the way that the church actually initiates people into herself, into the body of Christ. And what that tells us is that there's truth here. If we're observing something that's both necessary in the natural world, so to speak, but also a part of salvation itself being brought into the body of church, the way that the world, that, that we exist here in this life, that's profound. Once we understand that, then we can talk about, okay, well, a boy is not a man. That's the reason we have two different words. And a boy in his, the glory of boyhood is a good thing. He is not a bad thing. But when his boyhood comes to an end and he has to become a man, it requires, and I mean that, it requires an initiation, which is something that societies and cultures throughout the world, throughout history, throughout time have recognized, which is why they created universally across the globe, every continent, they have provided rites of passage for boys. It is not true that it happens for girls universally. There are some instances of a rites of passage for girls, but typically within their own biology, the logic of their very flesh that they live with. Uh, with I, I hate to get too intricate here, but the cycles of life that they right. live through, the reality of birth, they have it in their body. I am oriented to give life. Boys, on the other hand, don't have that, in a sense, impregnated within themselves. They have the ability to flee, to run, to hide, to avoid, or even worse, to go in there and and bring about their own pleasure and desires and then do all those things, run, hide, avoid, the sacrifice, 
So in a and we're, and way, we're seeing we're seeing these counterfeit and extreme distortions play out. I want to explore more when we come back. And and you mentioned that that First Corinthians thirteen eleven scripture, the wisdom of Saint Paul. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away the things of a child. That's what we're discussing on today's show. This is Marriage Hour here on Trending the Maturity Crisis, what it means in marriage and society, and what to do about it. My name is Brooke Taylor in for Timory. My guest is Jason Craig. He's the founder of St. Joseph's Farm, hosting retreats for fathers and sons and co-founder of Fraternus. We have a call we'll take after the break and jump right back in. Stay with us. Today's programming is sponsored by Colby Academy, offering a customized Catholic curriculum. Colby Academy knows the ultimate goal of education is to help our children be saints. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. There are certain conflicts that are inevitable in human nature, simply because we're composed of body and soul and matter and spirit. Therefore, there's always a struggle. There's a cross that's at the very center of human life. No man is ever really happy on the inside until he's at war with himself. At war with that which is base and which would destroy his Godward tendencies. As our Lord said, I came not to bring peace but the sword. Not the sword that points and thrusts outward to destroy the neighbor, but the sword that thrusts inward in order to destroy one's egotism and one's lust and one's avarice and all the things that they destroy also a peace of mind. The greatest cross in the world is to be without a cross. And love makes peace. Wow. That is the unmistakable voice of Fulton Sheen. And it ties into our topic about discipline, masculine, masculine identity, immaturity, kind of the Catholic version of Roosevelt's man in the arena there, I think. he. Oh boy, do we miss Fulton Sheen, the, the good archbishop. But talking about that ultimate destination of the hero's journey to be conformed to the supreme man, Jesus Christ. And our guest this hour is Jason Craig. He is the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, Reclaiming Catholic Brotherhood, also the founder of St. Joseph's Farm, hosting retreats for men and fathers and sons, and also Fraternus and the Sword and Spade magazine, which we will get into a quarterly issue, which I really enjoy. And my name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory. Welcome back to the show. This is Marriage Hour, so our topic ties into that, but really all facets of life and the church. And as we explore the topic and the importance of of rites of passage, I just want to throw the number out for you as well. It's one 914 is our studio line. Kevin is on the phone from San Clemente, California. Hi, Kevin. Are you with us? Yes. Thanks for taking my call. Great topic. Um, I just want to let you know Thank I you. had a second, I didn't have to, I took a second degree in care, health, and society um, in 2020 because my parents were suffering and I wanted to learn more about health care but my my original degree was family and child development and one thing that I had to uh, review at this last course is how we're not allowed to say to our boys any longer as a parent 
to be a man, to man up, be tough, don't be a girl. Those comments were drilled into us saying, this is cancel culture now. You, you cannot be what God created you to be. We have thousands and thousands of years of DNA in us that God created. Men are men. Boys are boys. And there's a big difference. And when you're grow, growing up, you have to have that rite of passage where you can own and be responsible. I know that the people that ran into the falling towers during 9-11 were men and women, but they were brought up with the identity that they have to be tough in these situations. And like uh, Jason said earlier, I think that we're negatively impacting the maturity of our young male youth, and there's a big, huge disconnect of what they're supposed to be, and it's, it's sad. It is. Great insight, Kevin. Thank you. Your thoughts on that, Jason? Kevin, that was a great way. I, man, I wish we could talk more about the conflict of what we're being told uh, is the necessary way and what we know intuitively from experience and the reality of life, i.e. the experience of, of danger, the need for sacrifice, that everyone bemoans and dislikes the... Uh, I hate, I'm just going to do the manly man until they need him and then they want him to die. Right. And they're, they're expecting him to die. I'll never forget growing up, um, being told over and over and over to sort of what Kevin's describing here of just, you know, be gentle, be gentle, be nice, never be ferocious, whatever. And then I lived in kind of a rough neighborhood. I got beat up and I go inside and they say, well, why didn't you defend yourself? And I remember thinking, what do you people want from me? I don't understand this. Um, and he's absolutely right. Societies, when they, we, we have completely misconstrued the idea of being tough and being gritty and being able and being competent and being willing to sacrifice. We have reduced that and combined it with the idea of being some machismo, self-absorbed, egotistical jerk which is not at all the same thing as having the virtue of grit, right? Which St. Thomas Aquinas would define as fortitude, right? right? So Aquinas talks about the vice of, or effeminacy. He talks about the vice of effeminacy. And some people think, oh, effeminate, that sounds like feminine. Nope, that is not what it means. In fact, the vice of effeminacy only belongs to men that are unwilling in, and incapable of sacrifice. When Boy, you tell good. someone they have to be tough, it is not so that they can build up their own ego. It is so that they are prepared to defend and fight for what they are called to defend and fight for. So everyone expects me as a father, everyone, if Perhaps there's some people out there that might be offended that I'm even describing it this way just because we have been conditioned to think otherwise. But I live way out in the country, and if someone were to break into my house, and you mentioned my wife has an ace baby, and she's in our bedroom with us, and, someone, and I hear a loud noise outside, my wife has the potential and the capacity to care for and nurture from her own flesh the next generation. My children have the capacity. The, the ability, the, the potential to grow into all sorts of wonderful and beautiful vocations. 
I, as the man of the home, am expected to go out and meet that challenge and meet that threat, not from my own ego, but because I love and treasure the hope that is in my home, the hope that is in maternity and motherhood, the hope that is in youth and and to be a child, and that at that point, yes, I am expendable, not in some utilitarian, flippant way, but that I am a priest of the home. And priesthood is related ultimately to sacrifice. And if someone is breaking into our home and needs to die, it's me first. Okay, that was very dramatic, all this stuff. Well, but it's beautiful because it's true. Uh, Jason Craig is our guest, Leaving Boyhood Behind is the name of the book. And, you know, that's the thing is there are so many extremes being modeled in the culture. We have a dysfunctional masculinity. And I will mention this gentleman as an example because he is a great inspiration. Uh, And that's David Goggins, for example. He's a retired Navy SEAL. He's known for his ultramarathon athletics, endurance, and he's very motivational. But... He has constant use of profanity and, you know, some new age spirituality that is evident, even though he for a time went to Catholic school for a bit. And then, you know, and I bring him up because he there are plenty of young men who follow him as a quote unquote ideal man, as an example of true masculinity, the callousing your mind. And now you can take a portion of that and say fortitude, endurance. I mean, if he was a desert father, he would be amazing. But then when you disjoint it from purpose and from what you're talking about, self-sacrifice and laying down your life for the other. And of course, he's heroic, having served our country. I, but the idea of removing it from, from any kernel of faith or the purpose of why we're here and where we're going, that's problematic and it's confusing. And then you have the other extreme, which is extremely effeminate men who are modeling a totally different counterfeit ideal. So how do we navigate that? And I think even as parents charitably share this with our children, because many, or and we know by statistics, studies bear that out, they don't have that ideal model in the home or even perhaps immediately in their sphere of influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, well, one, I would say we are closer to the ideal when we say, when we, when we point to someone, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't I am very bad. I, like, I didn't even know the I didn't even know the word adult, and it's literally when you said the word, I'm like, that's the thesis of my book. I don't even know the word. I'm very bad. I don't. I don't. I live. Well, I live on a farm. To be fair, you are caring for your eighth child, that's and you're right. also yeah. running a farm. Know. And I'm just yes. trying to keep up. Like when we had a thunderstorm <laughs> before this interview started, and I'm calling my dad. Like Daniel ran down to the farm, and we were milking the cows, and it's. It's, there's literal hail on the ground. Can you please get into the house? Anyway, I can't keep up. But from what you're saying, and I'm not endorsing him, that's a lot closer. The question yes. I have for that ideal of masculinity, okay, great. You know, this is the difference in, in Aquinas when he talks about what makes a, a, uh, a you know, a, a noble act, a heroic act, some sort of like, oh, that's good. What makes it virtuous? Because any man can be brave. So the jewel thief who steals the jewels brazenly in public, he's brave, meaning he had to face danger, adversity, all sorts of stuff. What makes it, though, the Christian virtue of fortitude? 
is that the end he is pursuing is good. So lots of people can be disciplined. This is why I, for one, you know, there's, there's lots of guys, whether it's they're obsessed with the gym and I, you know, I go to the gym, like, all right, there's like 30 guys looking at themselves in the mirror, building muscle for what, for what, what are they, what are they building muscle for? To, to, are they, do they have something they need to move, pick up, right? No, they, they want to look like they have muscles. For what? What is the purpose? What is the end? Because those muscles will be writhing with worms but at the end of your life. Okay, so what is the purpose? So the jewel thief may be brave, but he doesn't have fortitude. The man of fortitude has the correct end. He has the correct goal. So for that man who's a, people follow him, whatever, he's a Navy SEAL. I don't, I don't know this guy. My question for such men, and, I, and this is, and just, I've had priests sitting at this table. I've had, who is your bride? Who are your children? Because when St. Paul says, I left boyhood behind, that's at the end of his litany of love, by the way, in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is this. Love is that. At the end of that is when he says, when I became a man, I put away the ways of a boy. In other words, I sacrificed myself for love, for my bride, which is where he also talks about in Ephesians, you men imitate Christ laying your life down for your bride. My strength, when it is just harnessed and shown off for its own sake, that's pitiable. In fact, I'd rather be around effeminate men because they're easier to have conversation with than the egotistical, you know, muscle men. They're just building muscle for nothing. It's nothingness. It's a waste of time, a waste of energy, a waste of strength, and potentially a pathway to hell. However, if a man understands his strength and he sees his bride, it orients his strength towards her to love her to care for her. And from that love comes his children. And then he matures ultimately, which all men, masculinity, if we're going to talk about it and not get weird and stupid, it's all orienting towards to become a father, to realize, oh, my strength, whatever is good that is within me, whatever I have been given as a gift, I am meant to lay it down so that I can give life to the next generation to become a father, which begins, by the way, first in the love of my bride, when he's oriented towards those things in his strengths, let's have a conversation. That's worth our time. Everything else is either your, these extremes of masculinity, and it's been, it's been called, uh, I can't remember the name of the author. He said, you know, we're, we're stuck between the extremes of the wimp and the barbarian. Right. Right. You're either wimpy and, and effeminate, right, which is a vice, according to Thomas Aquinas. Effeminacy is a vice where you're unwilling to sacrifice. Or you cannot walk into any room without announcing to the whole world how strong and amazing and dominating you are. Great. Gotcha. Okay. What we want to bring our Catholic boys into is something wholly and totally different, which is Catholic masculinity rooted in who? Christ. So when, when he's brought before the people and this Roman governor looks at him and says, behold the man, right? Torn, broken, bleeding. You don't think that required strength? Of course it required strength. But that is the man. Behold the man. That's him. That's him for us. So I, I get frustrated with both the 
tender, the overly tender, overly maternal, and we should get into that, where the mothers never let go and they keep mothering the children, the boys, when it's when really they need to be in the care of the men and be instructed in the ways of men, and they don't even let them in the company of men. And we're stuck between those effeminate boys that are stuck playing video games with soft hands and, and, and flabby muscles and, you know, big around the gut, which as a disclaimer, if anyone meets me, I'm big around the gut. So I'm allowed to say that. <laughs> so again, uh, we look at temperance. We look at the virtues. So you're saying don't get too caught up in staring at yourself and measuring your biceps. And also don't let yourself go and in, into the, the vice of sloth. And so that holy balance Today's programming is sponsored by Colby Academy, offering a customized Catholic curriculum. Colby Academy knows the ultimate goal of education is to help our children be saints. More info at relevantradio.com slash Colby. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where you can discuss what matters most to you. Join the conversation, 888-914-9149. The maturity crisis is our topic. Men stuck in a perpetual boyhood, perhaps both psychologically and spiritually, what it means, what we can do about it. That has been our topic for the last hour here on Trending. Jason Craig is my guest this hour. My name is Brooke Taylor, in for Timory. And Jason, the founder of St. Joseph's Farm, hosting retreats for fathers and sons, also the co-founder of Fraternus, the author of Leaving Boyhood Behind, Reclaiming Catholic Brotherhood. That's what largely we've been talking about this past hour. And we are coming to the last 10 minutes of the show, still so much to get to. Jason, you talked a little bit about the hero's journey and the importance of a boy to set out and to to do something great, virtuous, and also the role that a mom can play in that to either hinder or help. Can you talk a little bit more about that and how we might be able to assist as sisters and daughters and wives? In, in 10 minutes? Oh, that's loaded. Um, <laughs> yes. Yes. The... Well, let's just put, before we make any accusations or anyone feels accused, we live in a situation, uh, just historically, you know, the reality we're facing, that our boys are growing up in a hyper-maternal world. So mothers, we know a boy is conceived in utopia in the womb, right? That's utopia. He is warm. He is fed. He is comfortable all the time. And then he's born gets a little less comfortable, but his mother is there to provide the comfort, the warmth, and the food, the hydration, everything he needs. And that is her unique gift to her son. And he needs it as a boy. It's required. Um, You know, we're we're making a joke. Today on the farm, we had a calf, um, and the kids were going, look, he's already walking and nursing on his own. Why is our new baby so helpless, right? There's something in humanity that requires a lot of care and tenderness in, in their young years as they grow, as they mature. 
right? But they're, we know that they're growing. They're orienting towards something else. The mother's job in that time in their boyhood is to care for his particular, you know, his, his bodily care, everything about him. She protects him. And that is that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, effeminacy or weakness. You know, there's a great phrase we use, like, oh, that she's a mama bear, right? She protects because mothers aren't weak in their care for their sons. They're actually ferocious in it. They're they're they they can be violent. I have actually great stories of mothers becoming violent in the protection of their sons, the mama bears. Um, that's good. That's a very good thing. However, when in the Gospels, particularly in Luke, and we just got through this in, in Christmas and Epiphany, when, you know, there's two instances in the Gospel of Luke where the, the Luke says in St. John, he talks about the infancy of St. John the, the Baptist. He says, and then he came to his strength, and the Spirit of God was upon him. And this is in chapter 1 and 2. And then the next time we see him, he's ferociously taking down the uh, – the Pharisees and all that, right? He's preaching as St. John the Baptist can. The next, we hear that exact same phrase at the end of the, the infancy narrative of Christ. We hear that he came to his strength and the Spirit of God was upon him. We hear the exact same language, which means you're supposed to go, oh, something's about to change because now he's strong and able and capable like a man. And the next episode of that in the gospel is actually when Jesus stays back in the temple. And this is what inspired the, the, the title, Leaving Boyhood Behind. If, if you read that closely, it says, and, the boy, and Luke says, the boy Jesus remained in Jerusalem, and his parents, and they left, and he was there. And when they found him, where was he? He was with the men. And in that instance, so Luke chapter 1 and 2, all the way up to that moment, he always says, the boy Jesus, the infant Jesus, he always gives that qualifier, infant boy Jesus, the, the young Jesus was with them. He did this. He did that. The kings came, all that stuff. After the episode, when he's found with the men in the temple and he says the words, I must be about my father's business. Luke is very, if you ever wondered, why do we have this, this strange episode when he's 12, 13, that age? Because something changed at that moment. Because when he said, when at the end of that episode, the end of chapter two, um, we hear, and, and Jesus went home with them. Right. And in that instant, that's the first time Luke uses the word just Jesus by himself, just as a man, so to speak. Now that he's about his father's business, something has changed. Mothers must care for sons and protect them. There becomes a time, however, when the mother has given everything they have to give to the boy. And in our, even in our language and our culture and our understanding, that's a good thing, yet it can become bad. If in his boyhood it extends where he comes to his strength and then he remains in the world of the mother and does not enter upon his father's business, upon the world of men, if that never happens, he will be absolutely, fundamentally, critically stunted. Because his mother can give him everything in the world that she has to give, but she does not have the gift. She does not have masculinity to give him. She can't give it to him, right? She, she doesn't have it. He must be in the care and the, and the mentorship and the guidance and the, and the instruction and the challenge of other men. And in our society, our hyper-maternal hyper society, for we keep perpetuating adolescence 
by leaving our boys in the world of the mother and not having effective rites of passage and means, which a rite of passage is not just you prove to yourself or whatever. It's when you join the men in their work, in their duty, in their understanding of what their, their task in life is. That is what happens in a rite of passage. That is when you move over to become a man is when you're in the instruction and the care and the ways of men. And it's, different from the ways and the care of, of a mother. It's different. And of course it is. That's there's, there's no problem in this difference. But a boy has been a boy his entire life. He doesn't know how to be a man. He doesn't know. I mean, even in our own homes, we see this, that he's in the care of his mother. And then he, we, we sense this tension that he needs something different. He needs, I don't know what he needs. He needs like work. He needs more discipline or He's just getting weird and grumpy or lazy or whatever, all these things that we say. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Because there's traditional societies, once the boy came to his strength, and when I say traditional societies, I mean everything from the Amish today all the way back to the to boys. When our Lord went to the temple, right, when he went with our lady, so St. Joseph had to be there by the law. By the law, he had to be there to worship twice a year in the temple. Our Lady did not have to be there. She was, out of, she was there out of piety. And in the temple, there was a place where the, the children and the women stopped. So that's male and female, by the way. The boys, right. the girls, and the moms had a place where they gathered. And there was another courtyard in the temple where the men went through. Can you imagine? There was a time, year after year, you're going to this thing, and all the men go through that door to be something different from all of us out here, women and children, meaning boys and girls, the sort of androgynous reality of children. But all the men go through that door. But in, in the law, according to the law of Moses, age 12, 13, 14 particularly, there was a time where your, your father turned to you and you said, and he said to you, come with me. That you cross the threshold and the door is closed and your mom's not even there. She's not there. <clears throat> She's not I, even there. I, I'm thinking, too, of, of the Western Wall. In the Western Wall, there is the side for the men and the women. And we are almost out of time, but I want to kind of conclude with you dedicate the book to Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict XVI, and also share a lot of potent quotes from him. He talks about the importance of rites of passage and how this doesn't mean to turn inward as kind of an esoteric group, but to graft on to the body of Christ, to assist our Lord in his work of saving the world. And I know that you have devoted so much time to that. And so as a takeaway, as a solution, I really want to point people to your website, your retreats, your books, Fraternus. Could you just in the minute or so we have plug how we can get in touch with you, Jason? Absolutely. Well, we, we have a magazine, Sword of the State magazine. Your help, that's, this is sort of the ethos of that, creating a culture of the home where the home is ordered, the father is the head of the home, the, the mother is the mother, the father is the father, all those things. I would summarize all of that, though, is that the boys today are not the problem. And this is a realization that we had to come to in Fraternus. Fraternus began in 2008 as an apostolate for young men because we were losing young men. And we weren't a couple years into that, and we realized the young men are not the problem. The men are the problem. If we're losing our sons, it's because the men have not brought them into their world as men, into the fraternity, in the brotherhood of Catholic men. So when we talk about initiation, it's 
how do we make you become one of us? Well, we as men don't have an us. We're lonely, isolated, confused, overworked, underappreciated, all of those things. We don't have, so fraternus, what it does is cultivate first, first amongst the men of fraternity. 